0: Uh, Forrest, welcome today. I appreciate you stopping by.
1: I appreciate it. I'm uh, looking forward to this talk from our emails.
0: So I know you have a pretty extensive background in martial arts. Can you kind of give a quick summary for everybody listening?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I started martial arts in 1979. I'm 51. I'm very old. I should be I should be way better at martial arts given how many years I've done it. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I was a, a kid and I wanted to do martial arts and then we got like the after school karate program. So I started that. That was Tang Sudo. Did that a number of years until about junior high school. In high school, I uh, wrestled for three years. Nice. Uh, and it's interesting for me to look back that I, uh, if I think about me being a kid, I realized that the UFC lesson, I actually knew that before the UFC where I go, hey, you know, a little grappling goes a long yeah, way. Yeah,
0: definitely helps.
1: Uh, that that's something I was explaining to my kids about, like you know how I grew up in tougher times than they did, and I go, oh, you know what? I did this and headlock and throw. I go, oh, wait a minute, a little wrestling. A little, it's like, oh, that that big shock when the UFC came out and we said, oh my God, grappling grappling works. Yeah, yeah. It's like I I realized I knew that as a kid, but I apparently forgot for decades.
0: <laughs> so how did you go from wrestling to? Chinese okay,
1: so I wrestled in high school and then I went to college and then I wanted to try, you know, college. Oh, cool, there's all these things. And I tried out uh, the MIT Wudong Club. I went to MIT, by the way. Nice. Um, nice. Local. And, uh, you know, that was Kung Fu from the Liu Yun Chao organization. I tried, I, I, I basically looked at every club. Yep. And, then I, and I decided I would try to. I tried the Wudong because I always wanted to do Kung Fu because I came from Tang Soo Do, which is, you know, Korean karate. Yeah. That probably offends some people. No, but... no,
0: that's that's the reality. That's what it is. Um...
1: Right. And um, so, you know, I looked at that, and the other club that I favored was the MIT Taekwondo Club, and there's two of them, and, but they, these guys were hardcore. Mm-hmm. So uh, after one semester, I dropped, I did both of them for one semester, and I dropped the Wudong, or the Wutong, sorry, the Wutong Club, and, and I stuck with the MIT guys because they were hardcore. I don't know if you ever saw the movie, uh, there's a documentary, Budo, The Art of Killing.
0: No, I haven't seen that one.
1: It, it, it's pretty hardcore it's on I think Amazon, okay. Amazon Video if you've got that one now. But it it's, it was this documentary I want to say 70s or something okay. about hard hardcore Japanese martial arts and guys like, you know, guys who can like, you know, chop a beer bottle and chop it in half without knocking the bottle over. And, and they did my, ma- I believe they, they focus on Masoyama. and so Masoyama, you know, he was hardcore mm-hmm. and they would, tr- you know, run barefoot in the snow and all this stuff. We did all that crap. We were running barefoot in the snow, running into the Charles river. Yeah. We were just super hardcore. So I stuck with them. They were super hardcore, it was traditional Taekwondo. Um, so, you know, these guys actually still punched. Yep. You know, and they're trained really hard and the tests were grueling. And I remember failing my red belt test because I just had too much homework to, 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 train that much. But I remember by the time we got to like, uh, we'll just do tons and tons of sparring and we're doing, we're you know three on one. Yep. Yep. And I, and I was just so exhausted. I was just basically a punching bag and I failed my red belt test for that one. So it was like really hardcore. Um, and, and, at the time it was what I was looking for. They were really good on tradition, spirit, respect in general. I think Korean martial arts do well with uh, respect. Yeah. If you want your kids to learn that, that's a good thing. So I did that in college and was kind of, you know, all sold onto, you know, taekwondo rocks, hardcore. Um, so I uh, helped pay for MIT with an ROTC scholarship. Army. Yep. Nice. So after that, I uh, ended up, uh, Active duty for five years. So, um,
0: what years was that?
1: That would be ninety to ninety-five. Oh,
0: you and I were in the same time.
1: Yeah, I sort of—I think I remember you saying something about first—first first Gulf War. Yeah. yeah, I was in Korea during the first Gulf War. Okay. Uh, they were looking for we—you know—we had still had the mission at the Z, so yeah, we didn't leave, but they did ask for volunteers and a bunch of my fellow. Lieutenants offered to go to the Gulf. I forget what your get,
0: uh, your MOS was. They
1: keep telling me. Me, I like 25, Charlie, Signal Officer. Signal Officer. That's right. Okay.
0: All right. We yeah. did talk about this. Yep. Uh,
1: yeah. So, um, so I, I was there. You know, I did uh, did some karate at the basic officer course. With you know, was there at at Fort Augusta, Fort Gordon. And then uh, I did like a two, three month, uh, battalion brigade signal officer course at uh, Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Yep. And, and I did the same thing. I just went around the town and looked at all the schools. until I find one I like. And those guys were Chokushinkai. Okay. So I went and trained with them. They're pretty hardcore. So it was a good let fit.
0: Let me, let me, uh, jump backwards for a second here. Cause I, I have a question. If Did you ever get to visit the DMZ when you were
1: in Korea? Um, not as a visitor, but I, I definitely patrolled up there to supply. So we I was with a field artillery battalion that that manned the fire base there. Okay. So so the mission, the mission at that time is uh, one one infantry battalion would always be living in Tent City right there on the Z right. and, and then and then there was our uh, there was a fire base right there that was maintained by us. So we would rotate they would rotate one battalion, we wrote one uh, one battery to maintain the, uh, the battery for that so I'd, I'd been up that way but not uh, I just asked
0: because uh, I, I was in with guys that had been in Korea and they were in the DMZ and they were telling us stories about the tunnels and there would be a door between the north and the south and a window in the door and the the guys on the American side would all be you had to be a certain height and body weight and you had to go to the gym and lift weights so you looked like uh, you were jacked. And then on the North Korean side, the North Korean soldiers would be all uh, Taekwondo experts. And they would be over there on the other side in the window throwing kicks and doing stuff on pads to to kind of intimidate yeah. each other.
1: Yeah, this, this psyops yeah. thing is a real thing.
0: <laughs> Psychological
1: work, it, it, right? it is a real thing. Yeah it's it, it, it's the same reason the old guard guys are all six two minimum and whatever it's just right like, yeah. right so you think yeah no all soldiers are six five yeah. <laughs> all in the, in Americans
0: are six five with huge biceps and uh, they're just jacked yeah yeah yep <laughs> right and all uh and of course all Asians know martial arts that's the the flip side of that one I remember that being a very common uh psychological warfare tool back then
1: right so okay so i did that. kyokushinkai and then my first assignment was in korea so i was in korea for a year and of course i did taekwondo there and uh i competed in eighth army and area area one first championships and eighth army championships i think i got a bronze in the area one i don't think i placed eighth army but both guys. The guy I lost both. The, speaking of, of the K- Koreans, so so uh, on the South Korean side, we have with the Rocked Republic of Korea soldiers. That we have various attachés and, and and augmentee units. Um, they dev, for, for they uh, for their team. They field guys that all they do is taekwondo all day. Yeah, yeah. So the guy in my class was the guy whose job was to do taekwondo for the Korean army at his weight class. So I lost to him in both. Okay. Uh, okay, but I, I did taekwondo. But interestingly, I met the guy. Uh, I met a guy who ended up being a student with a guy I learned shini. Started learning shini first from.
0: Okay, and that was. In fact, yeah,
1: we fought. We fought a term. I lost to him okay. too. You uh, too? Yeah, I fought. So, so I. I I'm I met Steve there. So then I came back to America and I was kind of chill for a little bit. And then I did the same thing. I just went, went around looking for schools okay. and I decided, hey, I wanted to do Kung Fu and I checked out a couple. And I ended up one place that did um, Lohan Shaolin, Xingyi, some Chi, some Bagua, but that was his main, the main two things that he was pitching. Okay. So, uh, and, and um, I think up until then, the MIT Taekwondo Club was the first guy that said, you know, they had a, a focus on doing technique right for the body mechanics. Right. Right. Using the body, you know, uh, oh God, I, I used to have all this memorized. There was like a whole formula, like a reaction force balance, or I forgot, it. but it's like, you know, they had these things, they would say it, and, and they, you know, they were rough and tumble, so they tried to hit hard. And, th- and that was a big change. I remember the first time I showed up for that class, and I'd come from point fighting, Tang Do karate. Yeah. And I went and I did like this pulled back fist to the guy and the guy just shrugged it off and like kicked me into the wall. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, guess what? Point finding doesn't work good against contact. Not at all. And and so because they were rough and tumble, I went with the oh shit I forgot. So when I was in college, I was with them, traditional taekwondo. But I, when I went home, I looked for the best taekwondo school around and they happened to be WTF, Olympic style. Yeah. And so I was doing that at home and it was a good cross for me because those guys were more competition sparring focused so I got more refined fighting from them and then the guys at, at school were you know disciplined and work hard and all that stuff you know uh, and, and argue I would say my the forms I learned for them were better and crisper and nicer yeah for, for, for whatever that's worth so so that was one thing and, and the reason I ended up picking the, the kung fu school I went to is that instructor was very intelligent and and super focused on body mechanics and this is kind of what led me down to a lot of my stuff there where you go oh this these are the most sophisticated both in practice and in the detail with which they're taught Mm. okay right where he would explain he knew he had he had theory it's like a lot of things
0: and this is still xing yi right
1: well, right. Yeah. So, so the journey from that, so I started learning that and I was looking and so I was, uh, you know, I, I practiced five, six days a week, you know, and, and eventually I got to be an assistant instructor and I was putting all these hours and I'm going, what am i missing, you know, cause I, I ended up with Yi cause I read like, you know, Robert Smith's books and you know, the legendary power Shingy divine crushing fist, blah, blah, blah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, I'm training a lot. I'm roughly at the, you know, the peak of my life. How come I'm not more powerful, yeah. was the question to myself. And and so that took me looking around. And back then, like internet forums weren't quite a thing, but something called Usenet was there in, uh, this would be 90s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I came across this guy, Mike Sigmund, People Internal. And, and, and like a lot of people, I said, oh, I do that, I do that. And then over time... As I read, again, the thing I was saying uh, before you started recording, I try not to let my belief systems get in the way of me observing things. Yeah. And, and, you know, like a lot of people use similar words, to go, oh, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. And I go, you know, I don't think I'm doing that. So I was convinced I had to, to see him. And, and so what, in a nutshell, what Mike really f- has focused for decades on is um, internal body mechanics. Long story short, so he's like a Marine Vietnam vet. Spent time in Okinawa. You know, did Okinawan karate, did judo, rough and tumble. You know, obviously fought Vietnam. So he said he had enough of real fighting, but he came across like this aikido guy with an interesting form of strength. And, and then he said, "Oh, this is different than normal." And then he went down that path. Ended up going to Taiji, did Yang style for ten years, and then ended up stumbling on Chen style, and then just mostly. He's also an engineer by Profession after he got out of the Marine Corps, and so he just kind of took his engineering mind and tried to approach. Hey, some of these guys move different and more efficient than others, and so that's kind of been his life story. And then he's uh, tried to bring this lesson to other places, but a lot of times people get offended when you tell them they're not doing things quite right. So, um, yeah, I think he's actually uh, people won't see him that way. He's very altruistic. He keeps trying to share this stuff. He keeps trying to go into communities and say, "Hey, you're doing this. Let me help you," but the general reaction is, you know, uh, heresy. How dare you say we're not doing right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You have to be very careful about how you, how you spin that message. Um,
1: so, so he keeps trying, he's been doing this for decades. So I finally said, okay, I got to see this guy. I met him in 1995. And I said he had us a seminar in New Jersey and I was living in Maryland. So I drove up with my, uh, basically newlywed bride that was like probably not her favorite thing. Um, to go take his seminar I go, oh, here's another guy. Back to the whole mechanics. Here's a guy who figured out some stuff, applying his engineering mind, and has a, a much better algorithm or, or approach. And so that sort of influenced me. He said, oh, OK, yes. I want to move. I want to do things that are more efficient. Um, and then through him, I ended up meeting uh, Chen Chao Wang. He's pretty much the 19th generation sh- uh, standard bearer for Chen style. Um, Met him, hosted him, and, and some other Taiji and some other things. So it's it's through these guys I started to meet these other guys from the mainland China. Okay, and I think my lucky thing from that is from Mike I got this you know engineers way and because I'm also an engineer this engineers approach to how to move. Right, where it's like you know we're 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 physics nerds, so we look at it in a, in a very quantifiable way. And then the benefit of me being able to speak some Chinese is that now I can go and talk to these masters who have remarkable skill. Um, if they have as good a teaching algorithm, and not shown in public. But I'm able to talk with them. That's the thing where I go. As I, I feel Mike is a bit of a genius because he doesn't speak Chinese for him to figure out the things he's figured out. Yeah, it's really tough because traditionally this stuff was held for you know just the sons and the family and the whatever you know. Or back when you know back in the day when martial arts was your living. You didn't give your secrets out because that means someone else gets hired to, no, to guard it's the caravan, giving your not military you.
0: Military secrets away, it's
1: just like right. So out. it's like, so I think I had a lucky thing where Mike opened my mind to the engineering approach, which you know fits fits the way I do other things too. Whether it's like you know my other hobbies, playing music or programming or whatever, I'm very analytic like that one so that took me in in the world of meaning so you know i hosted chen chow on for four or five years in dc area before i moved to california i now chen my, chen long
0: is the uh lineage holder for chen style yes okay
1: yeah yeah for okay. for the for the large frame uh, large, uh the old for old frame big frame okay the, the the style that you see the most yeah yeah okay uh okay. Or maybe, maybe you say Xinjiang the most. But, anyways, um, so them, and then so my, uh, the, the Kung Fu teacher was with, he ended up meeting who would become my Xing Yi teacher after that. And, and so then I ended up, that would be Li Tai Liang, who who's in New York. And uh, Li Tai Liang is, uh, he's got an interesting background because he grew up uh, in, in Sanxi, where which, which is where Xing Yi was developed. Mm-hmm. And Xing Yi and Shin Yi without the G. Yeah. So heart, mind, and intent mind. It, it through luckily, through his dad's side, he had Shingi with the G through his mom's style. He, he was able to learn the Dai family Shingi without the thing, the rare style. So he had a family background in that one. But he was talented young, and they like picked him very young to, to be on, it, you know, at the provincial team. Mm-hmm. So he basically was like fast-lined into like martial arts as a uh, a, a uh, whatever vocation sort of training, right? So, so he pretty much went there, went to Beijing, started with uh, Zhang Wen Guang, uh, that that big professor there. Did Sanda, uh, so he was a Sanda, he was a Sanda competitor, Sanda coach, and he ended up doing like you know teaching like bodyguard institute and and military stuff. So he's got like uh, publications like stick fighting for the military, things like that. So he's a guy with a lot of traditional, a lot of contemporary actually fought. So he's a man with a, a lot of combination of things. When I look at it, oh, if there's only one guy I would burn Chinese martial arts, it would be him because he has this depth and breadth across a wide amount of things, right. which, which, which again, so I think, you know, and, and that little fighting edge of his brings something different to his traditional.
0: Of course. Martial yeah, Absolutely. It's hard to be a fighter and be faced with a world of, uh, of emptiness or, Things without meaning, and then still keep doing it. You've you've got to be, uh, dri- driven mad a bit.
1: Right. So so yeah. So so he is still my, you know. I guess he's still my Sifu. I did, uh, whatever discipleship ceremony under him uh, about to the late two thousand, I think. Okay. Nice. Nice. So so that would be.
0: Now, did you do yeah. the five, uh, the five and the twelve in Shingi? The 12 animals and yeah the five elements
1: so, yeah yeah so so from him he teaches basically two and he probably learned tons and i mean tons and tons he knows tons of stuff that i purposely try not to learn because i bet bad enough at the, the few things he's already shown me and uh yeah so f- 512 that's typically shingy with a g santi five element 12 animal yeah. um what I believe is the real, back to mechanics, body mechanics, the secret to the system of die family shin. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a, it's a strange looking thing. looks more like uh, the, the Six Harmony one, except that they have this, uh, where they turn their whole body into a bow. So there's an exercise called squatting monkey, where it's very specific training to turn your whole body from foot to the top of the head into a big, like, longbow, basically. Huh. Interesting. It's it, it, it's stuff that the Chen and the other internal arts will train, but more subtly.
0: Yeah, I didn't go that deep in Yi. I did the modern Five Element Twelve Animal Form, uh, but I didn't yeah. I didn't study it in depth further than that. So,
1: yeah, uh, you know, with a little, it's like if we meet in person, I'll show you I'll show you something. It's interesting to see the evolution. You can look back and you know, they're not related, but if you under understand the fundamental. Power body mechanics. You go. Oh no! This is that, but just super explicit. Yeah, yeah. Right. And 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 the thing with the dye family. So literally, I think until the '80s, they never showed anybody. Okay. And from what I what I understood, the secret was one of like the, the lineage holders basically blew all his money. Oh. And he was forced to teach martial arts to make money. So that's when he started. So I, I ran another guy, one of my students back in Maryland. Uh, he was from Taiwan. He said something to me. I, he was the first person tell me, he was like, here's a saying, Thai family shingi. Everyone's heard of it, but no one's seen it.
0: <laughs>
1: so this is a guy done assorted like Kung Fu and, and Tai Chi, probably mostly from, you know, thai, by way of Taiwan. And and he knew the saying. He so, said, oh yeah, Thai family shingi. Everyone is, everyone's heard of it, no one's seen it. So it's secret. So, so if you understand what squatting monkey is, it's super explicit, the things that other people train more subtly, or, or if they do train it, they train it. They don't show you what the exercise is.
0: Now I, this is a, a bit off of where we're going to go with the talk. So, uh, and I, hopefully this doesn't uh, offend you. I think you're fairly practical, so I can ask you this straight sure. out. Um as a guy that spent all this time doing like Xing Yi Taiji and all this attention and emphasis on body mechanics to the nth degree. Um, don't you find this to be kind of uh, the wrong path to go down for fighting and combat?
1: I, I think the approach that we're given mm-hmm. is definitely suboptimal. Yeah. It's a- uh, actually, sorry for let me let me let me grab four sentences to to catch up all the history, and then I'll come right back to here. Mm. So, so so bookmark this. So long story short, so Chinese martial blah blah blah. But I also saw the UFC when I was you know teaching kung fu, and I'm going, hey, that little guy beat everybody up. He was grappling? Yeah, right. And I, and I got my attention. And not surprising, my kung fu teacher then not not Li Tai Liang. The, the one before that was, you know, making up the stuff that all the traditional guys made. Oh, it's, it was fake. It was, I know that, you know. So, no, I say no, as far as I can tell, the little guy won, right? And so I started to explore that. And eventually, a few years later, Jiu-Jitsu school opened. So I started doing Jiu-Jitsu in 98. Uh, I, I, I ran across. I, I guess the big eye-opener for me was Bert Richardson.
0: Okay. I haven't heard of
1: him. I, I put, uh, Bert Richardson, he's uh, pretty pretty well-known in the Jeet Kune Do community.
0: Okay.
1: And he's the guy. So... Oh God! Sorry, sorry to have so much detail. Well, let's just say, long story short, is he's the guy that pushed for functional JKD. Okay. JKD can be very academic and smorgasbordy because of all the things they look at. He was the guy that said, "Hey, I may be on inside kung fu." you know every week and I have tons of DVD but he decided hey I can't fight the way I wanted to so he went and re, re- uh, dissolved his organization started everything from scratch everything is like we're going to do all the ranges and weapons it, i'm only teaching it if me or someone i know can use it yeah so he went to back to basics and he is a, both an exceptional person and a really good teacher so he really inspired me as far as how do you train practically when your goal is to fight. So that was sort of to diverge a little bit from what I'm gonna come back to about like, is that a bit of a waste of time? So he was my thing to practical. He's the guy that brought me to the straight blast gym because he was like his first set of videos of the practical one were produced by the straight blast gym. Okay. And that's how I learned about these guys and their stuff. Um, And so I've always been interested in mixed martial arts. And then when I moved to, to California, after taking like a year or two off and having my first kid, when I was ready to train again, I ended up training with the MMA gyms for a while. Until I uh, and then I took like a twelve-year off and then went back to Jujitsu like last summer. Okay. So um, so so just to fit in, so there's this traditional stuff, and then I was always you know Jujitsu and MMA sort of of interest. So now I'm coming back to is it not effective? It is definitely suboptimal. It's not a good method if you want fighting results quickly
0: no i know you and i talked about this the first time we uh hooked up on skype and we had a bit of a conversation about that and i know that's not where we're going today but uh yeah
1: i just it's it not reminded good,
0: me of that when you were talking about
1: it's, it's not a good method because the guys that can do it are crazy good but the percentage of people that can do it is relatively small you know, if not minuscule I,
0: and this is just my experience this is not uh, uh, to to paint a broad brush. The only guys I've seen that can really do that well, they can't fight. They can't fight
1: with it. So I, I oh, see but it. That's,
0: but that's and it's like. Well, but what's I the see, point?
1: But I've seen ones that can. Okay, that's the problem. Nice. But 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 it, it's minuscule. That's the problem. Like we talk about Tenshō ong. This guy has power like you could not believe. Some of the things I've seen. It's like oh, I've never seen this one, but. He's at the top of the chain. Even his brother's not that powerful. But what
0: happens when and somebody that knows how to grapple, what happens if a judo player gets a hold of his jacket and starts grappling with him? Can he still do it?
1: He, he's had some encounters and because he's got crazy power, he's able to resolve them. Yeah. Uh, if he got taken down, he could lose. Yeah. I mean, anyone who can't grapple, if they oh, got yeah, taken absolutely. down, they could lose. Right. So, um,
0: uh, anyway, that's a, that's kind of a segue. But it's it's not efficient, but yeah. but
1: that is of interest to me. I think for me, going back to being MIT and an engineer approach, it's like, oh, we should be more efficient. This is kind of what I am really really love about certain teachers in the jiu-jitsu community. They're really looking to um, better pedagogy, better teaching methodology, better training concepts. Absolutely. Rob Bernanke, Ryan Hall are at the top of this for me. For me, those are the ones that speak to me the most. Yeah. You know, uh, straight back at Jim, I love all their philosophy in general. Um, and, and, and the interesting, back to mechanics, they're going back to, you know, they're affiliating with Hickson and they're trying to do the quote-unquote invisible jujitsu, which is basically like the reverse. They learned to fight, now they're doing the internal mechanics. And I think what happens, what I think is, not a good method is learn internal mechanics and hope to fight later, but you no, never master mechanics. No. You never get there. So it's not a good method, but ironically, I see like straight Blast and other guys that are hooking up with like Henry Akins, who seems to be the Hickson student of the most prolific teaching. Yeah. As yeah. they're trying to learn these secrets, which this, basically that kind of stuff is what they're trying to do now, but they can already fight. Yeah. So it's a good time. Brett! As for pedagogy, they're trying to be able to infuse this from the beginning. So if I'm to believe what they say, they feel that they are able to bring people at the blue level, blue belt level quicker than other people because of their methodology.
0: Yeah. I, so I I kind of, um, I have some skepticism about that just because I've been through the jujitsu, uh, circuit. And I know firsthand, uh, from my other martial arts training as well, that nobody starts with internal and, if anything, it just kind of messes up everybody's head. You have to do the work, and there's no shortcut. If you don't throw the punches, if you don't get in there and grapple, I don't care how much you talk about internal, it is, it's just not going to happen. You have to go through the crucible to get it done.
1: Wow. I mean, besides that, mechanics first. The problem with mechanics first isn't so much that it's mechanics first. it's They want you to get it to a certain level before you're like allowed to do something next.
0: Yeah, and, and, and
1: that threshold that threshold is too high to be practical for most people.
0: I I get to what you're saying. I mean, there is there is something to be said for there's tips along the way, absolutely. Um, but I remember because I spent a, a long time in mixed schools as well, where you had people doing internal that whole internal external thing. People would get in this mindset that you're eventually going to get a stronger punch by sitting there and doing Tai Chi all day. And you're, you're not going to. You're going to get a stronger punch from hitting a heavy bag.
1: Yeah. If you never hit the bag, you're never going to no, get a
0: No, punch. absolutely.
1: That, that's the problem. The problem, you know, and, and, and uh, this is something that's in line with what we could talk about. It's like the problem is, is once they stop fighting, it's like anything. If you never play basketball, you couldn't be any good at it. I mean, you could do all the layups by yourself and free throw shots, <laughs> yes, but, if, yeah. you never, but if, you, if you never play the game, you cannot be but good. Sort of. I mean, what are,
0: Sunday. Uh, what is it? Uh, Monday? Monday morning quarterback or something? I don't know. I'm not a sports guy. Yeah. What, what's the? But, you, but, you know what I'm talking about. Yes.
1: Uh, whatever. Back to wheelchair quarterback or something like that. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah. about, but but it's one of those, like, but the problem is that's sort of what it's, I mean, if you make that analogy, Oh, doing the forms. Yeah. I can practice layups. I can practice free throats. I can dribble all I want. This is all great till someone else is there trying to fight you. Right. Right. And then, so, so now, I was thinking it like, I a, think uh, go ahead.
0: One, there's one thing I want to interject there because uh, if anybody's listening that before you get offended about that, there's absolutely, at least from my perspective, for someone that wants to go and do martial arts, and they don't want to fight, they just want to do forms, and that's your mindset, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You shouldn't be like negatively judged because you want to focus on that aspect. There's, It's only when you are not seeking that, and that's what you're fed as being the truth and reality where I think it starts to break down, and that's where I have more of a personal problem with that. Yeah.
1: No, no, I agree. People do martial arts for any number yeah, of reasons. Yeah, and that's that's and fine, and they're all good. It's all good. Yeah, as long, as long as you're clear what you're trying to get. Absolutely. And right, and so, and the problem is when people say, "Oh, you can fight. Just practice form." No, maybe one out of a million people can fight just by practicing form. And That's probably they just knew how to fight, right? Right. You know,
0: right. or yeah, Norm- they're naturally inclined for it, or brought it from somewhere
1: else. Right. So the word I like to say is normal people can't do that. No,
0: that's a good way to put it.
1: Right. So normal people can't just do the formula learn the fight.
0: So I, I, I want to, I'm probably going to take this next piece and, and throw it back in the beginning. But one thing that, um, to put some context in because people, you and I didn't know each other before last year. So could you give a little yeah. bit of a, uh, explanation as to how we cross paths for people that are learning? yeah.
1: No, you you were uh, you were on Stefan Kesting. So I, you know, I, I'm like I said earlier, I'm in the process of trying to absorb all the best practices of jujitsu as far as teaching and using the internet and stuff. And so, of course, uh, Stefan Kesting is a great resource, and you were on his podcast, which was, of course, I'm sure most of the guys who listen to his podcast, listen to jujitsu. So they're going, why do they have a Kung Fu guy here? But I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Kung Fu guy who does jujitsu. So I was like, yeah, let me watch this. This will be awesome. All right. So that I listened to your podcast and I just loved it. And then I contacted you and then we had a little Skype talk because I think, um, a lot of your journey, like I've thought about or wanted to do or didn't do as well.
0: Nice. Okay.
1: And, and, and to summarize what that journey is, I would say, you're a guy who's both trying to do practical Kung Fu as well as modernize, but still use the, the value. I mean, there's stuff of value there mm-hmm. that often gets thrown out because like I was saying earlier, some of the techniques are no longer practically practical or they're not like the word I like to use. They're not up to snuff anymore. Back in the day, in the day where no one sparred that method could work. I,
0: I'm going to disagree but, with you there for speak. And I'm going to do this for a reason. I I have some stuff coming out um, that I think you're going to find very interesting that uh, is we're going to be showing, especially you, you've done uh, what's co- called Taiji now, but I don't really like using that yeah. term because it's encompassing five different families into one bucket. Uh, but you did more of the large frame Chen family style. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Uh, My background's more in the young family, uh, the cotton boxing, if you will. And there's when you start digging in, I've there's some applications in there that are very different from the way that it's taught and has been taught for the last hundred years. And they're actual grappling applications, throws, trips, takedowns that are rock solid, even in today's world. And I think one of the biggest uh, distractions or deceptions that has happened since it was turned into a physical education form is this whole concept of building application around push hands, and that whole okay, you hold your hands here, and we 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 touch wrists, and everything's going to build off of that. And I so mm-hmm. I I know what you're saying. But I think the stuff that people have been learning and have been taught is, is not what it was. So I have to disagree with you because I think that it is still valid when you start. getting oh, the well,
1: work, well, So, so I'm not against techniques, assuming you get the real techniques. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and some of these, like a lot of these, there's a huge amount of shri jiao and grappling. And absolutely, you know, in all Chinese martial arts, but I've seen more of it as I, as I started to learn shri jiao. I was like, oh, yes. I look back at some of the Xing stuff. I go, oh, this is, this thing that the shri jiao is showing me is exactly what I, the shapes that I'm doing in Xing Yi, but I wasn't told. Yeah. But I go, oh, yeah. this is, you know, and I go, oh. so, so, so that's a, what, what I'm talking about methodology is like pads. When we can spar, because the key thing really is flight time, in the old days because we didn't have good pads and, and foam helmets and chest protectors, part of the reason they didn't spar hard is, is because you can't sustain that without protection. We have better protection. We can spar in a way that's better. we can, we can get more we can log more hours with less injuries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? And, and so like I said, in the method when no one could spar a lot, certain methodologies probably work good but now in in, in the modern age and post UFC it's like you kind of have to update and, and, and kung fu has traditionally always you know you beat me teach me yeah that's 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 the old it's the story in all the kung fu movies it's you know wang Shangzai, early 1900s went around China looking for someone to beat him so he could learn something
0: yeah it's a common right? so trope that, that, in chinese martial arts
1: that attitude used to be which you know when i looked at like in at least the circles I saw traditional martial arts. When the UFC came out, they're going, "That's baloney! That's it. they didn't have a good guy or whatever." You know, it was that that disbelief. It wasn't uh, like later I showed my teacher Li Tai Liang. I said I told him about. It. He didn't know about. It. I, sh- I popped in UFC One, UFC Four, and certain things I was showing him, and he looked and he did this thing. and said, "Hey, that little guy won," and he didn't know jujitsu. And I said, uh, "I think I showed him like Royce uh, Gracie versus Dan Severin, where he triangle chokes him at the end." Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he's looking and he goes, that guy is so much bigger than him. I, how did he win? And his triangle choke. He said, what? Do you know that? He goes, yeah, show it to me. So I put it on him. And then he was trying to figure out ways he might get out of it. Interestingly, you know, uh, attacks to the to soft points that are illegal and then headbutts, right. which which could be legal. But, it's like he, but see, that was the difference. He was, like I said, he's from this fighting background where he just said, that little guy won. Right. Show me it. And then I popped it on him, and of course, you know, at first, you know, I got Yeah. He's going, oh, okay, this worked. Well, I mean, I got the tap first. He goes, oh, that works. Okay, now let me try something, which was completely different. My other, other kung fu teacher was just going, you know, this is rigged. I know it. People, people I know in it told me it, or, or you know, he made stuff up. He, he was in such disbelief, <laughs> shocked, like like yeah. a lot of people, right? Yeah. Where I'm, just, I had the same thing. The little guy won. I should figure out what he's doing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good. He was immediately starting to try to figure it out and then how to counter it.
1: Right. Now, yeah. so
0: one of the things that we wanted to talk about today is, uh, is Chinese boxing or Chinese martial arts worth saving? And you know where I stand on this. I'm not sure if you fully agree uh, with like what I'm doing and, and that uh, model or if you think it's a waste of time. Can, would you mind sharing? your
1: thoughts no well so, so there is stuff there's certainly stuff in there that I think is not treated well not, does that make sense that's let me try to rephrase that. there's a lot of knowledge there's a lot of knowledge in Chinese martial arts uh, not all of it is practically accessible so I definitely have a similar feel like like how do we save this stuff of value but make it useful mm-hmm. right and and, and and kung fu has had a long decline, I think, since I guess the days when that's what you did to stay alive. Yeah, you know, there are lots of schools that never spar, which I go, and again, that's fine if if that's okay. But it's like, but they obviously lose the the, the fighting. Yeah. For if right. that's important to you, if it's just uh, it's if just like, owning
0: what you what you're doing, like if that's what you want to do, then that's good, but.
1: Right. So I think there's a lot of stuff of value. And again, it depends on what you value. So I definitely definitely would like to see more practical
0: Chinese martial arts.
1: Right. And a lot of it's cultural. If you go to the tournaments, you know, or or whatever, you do all the forms tournaments, if that's what you're emphasizing, then of course, that's what people are doing. I mean, you can sort of see a little bit in jujitsu with sport, sport versus self-defense. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the old-school guys are going, "Hey, that sport stuff's no good because you know you get punched in the teeth, whatever." There's some truth to that, but but by the same measure, they're able to do stuff because once you isolate stuff, you can raise stuff to higher levels. So there's value both ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I think there's a lot of stuff of value. I would like to see it, and also a little bit because I'm also Chinese. I'd like to see some of my heritage survive.
0: So this is, I, I had this question for a little later, but it's kind of it makes a good um, entry to this. So especially given your uh, Chinese heritage, do you on some level uh, feel like the Chinese right now, uh, we've talked about um this MMA fighter in China that's that's causing a
1: yeah she Dong. yeah
0: Xiaodong yeah. yeah. is uh is disrupting the the Chinese martial arts circles because he's challenging anybody who does Chinese martial arts and he's beating them. Uh and the Chinese government has actually tried to censor him to shut him down because they feel like they're losing face because of what he's doing. And don't you feel uh some on some level that why doesn't the government back their arts that that are actually valid and work nowadays like shuajiao and mm-hmm. the traditional chinese boxing like the like try, try to put people in there to decipher what's inside these old boxing sets and make them relevant again instead of backing this this world of modern wushu forms that they're just forms they're not actual fighting and then trying to say that they are fighting and then when a guy comes out and starts beating all the people that do that stuff you're defend- you're you're trying to censor him don't you feel like that that's kind of the wrong message that they should be yeah
1: i mean i, I the big if it's a criticism on some of the bad potential aspects of Chinese culture, this face thing is terrible. Yeah, you know we're living in the face. I said no, no. He, if if you if you watch the Chinese news, it's a slightly different slant than what comes out in English. Okay, but I've listened to interviews with Shu Xiaodong in Chinese, and, and the way he spells it, it's a lot better. He, once I started seeing the Chinese, i I feel he's much more honorable because the way you paint him is you know. A hole MMA fighter is just beating up old Taiji well, masters. The and the last some fight that's... he had, he
0: was very disrespectful. I will, I will.
1: He, he does that in general. He yeah. he can be a little respectful, but if you read him talking about, hey, I'm out just to, to expose the charlatans. And the story between be, behind the first fight had to do with him watching this documentary, and and they did this stuff. And go, oh, I got to meet this guy if he can do this. And he calls up like the the person who did the show, and she says, I'm sorry, we faked it. Because what you faked it and put it on TV—that's BS. And so that was some Chinese social media interactions. It became a challenge, and the guy showed up, and obviously he couldn't fight. Yeah, um, you know, and he said, "I'm trying to, to to spill. I'm trying to debunk the the charlatans."
0: I I get where he's coming and, from. I. I guess personally, I mean, I have a problem with this. I I've seen it in BJJ too. I saw like two years ago, you maybe have seen the same clip. These guys uh, walking into a school in Connecticut. Uh, the guy was a fake black belt and these other yes. brown belts and purple belts decided to go in and, and call him out and challenge him. And mm-hmm. I get what they're doing. Um, I understand where they're coming from. It's like, this guy is bringing down our art and they want to, they want to defend it. But at the end of the day, it's like who who made you the sheriff of martial arts? Like who made you the sheriff? If you want to change something, then why don't you start teaching it differently, and just do your thing and mind your own business? Why do you have to go and be disrespectful to other people? What's what's your thoughts on that?
1: Oh well, it, I mean, it can be pretty rude. I don't think I would do that. Mm. Uh, but you had an old school jujitsu. That's probably not far from old school jujitsu. Those like you know how, the recent thing. It, no-gi world health gracie kind of
0: yeah you know yeah. oh
1: he's og gangster it's like back the guys from his generation a lot of those guys are mean dudes that you know went to other schools in brazil and beat their people up to show jiu-jitsu was the best yeah,
0: yeah. so
1: there is there is there is some historical precedent to that but it's it's kind of rude uh you know yeah it's, it's I,
0: that, I get that you know, it's, it's it's that it's, aspect of it um i guess i just uh it's kind of there's other ways to change things if that's your goal and you kind of look like an asshole right. if you're
1: so uh <laughs> but but i you know the, the shisha do thing has been a been a very introspective thing for me okay at first at first i thought you know you you get the the things that go viral and you go oh mma a-hole yeah, yeah and then you see, then you see the, the the seemingly justifiable oh well we got to take care of MA a-hole but if you look at again to meet face they're getting uh so i watch another thing in chinese where he's talking about so-and-so wants to challenge me so-and-so said his student but you know what his student is not actually taiji his student you know was on the sanda team first and then he learned taiji so he's fighting me because he learned to fight from sanda yeah you know and he was making making comments like you got a student that's only done taiji you want me i'll fight him you know i have no problem so i and i listen to these and i as i listen to the stuff in chinese and again listen to him speak for himself in Chinese also makes a big difference Like, I go, Oh, he's, I mean, he's a little rude about it, mm. but again, if you want to get attention, a lot of times you got to uh, be. Yeah. A, it's, it's an like angel. the, uh,
0: like the Diaz brothers um, in sure. MMA They they act really, uh, really tough or gangster like, but I have a hard time believing that they would have made it to black belts and jujitsu acting the way that they do publicly. And, the lead ups to their fights and it's to sell fights and he's probably doing something similar. He's probably a nice guy. And I, I get, I guess like, especially with the Taiji, uh, challenge, I get what he's saying there is cause if you are representing your Taiji as it being combat capable, then you got a problem. Like you, you better be able to back that up if you're saying that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's sort of where he is. The- the good part of what he's saying, he said, look, if you say you can fight, let's see it. And and, and he even says, I would be happy if some uh, traditional came up and kicked my butt with traditional martial arts because that's what he wanted. And An and interesting thing, I came across, I'd seen this video before, but I didn't realize it was Xu Xiaogong. There's some story where I believe it was Andy Wang, one of the early guy, uh, Chinese guys to bring BJJ to China. Okay. And there's a fight with him at a blue belt against this Sanda fighter. I didn't realize that Sanda fighter was Sri Dong. Oh, okay, interesting. And, and this, I watch this YouTube channel fight commentaries, and, and Jerry throws this down and he goes, "Hey, this is the one that started Sri Dong. He was a Sanda guy, and he got he, he lost. He got I tapped out. I probably, I think, to an armbar, uh. right?" He did reasonably good. He, he got this match. I don't know who set it up, but he went to fight. He started off with good momentum, but ultimately went to the ground and, of course, lost. And uh, and then that's apparently what took him to MMA. He was a Sandai guy that turned to MMA. And I this showed up on YouTube like a few weeks ago, and I watched it. and I go, I've seen that fight before, but I did not know that Xu Xiaodong was this guy.
0: Now, is Xu Xiaodong uh, – the video that I saw – a few years ago, it was pretty grainy, so it was hard to get a, a good visual. There was a guy that challenged the Japanese Aikido master that was doing the no touch knockouts, and he was mm-hmm. a he was a young MMA fighter, and he offered he challenged mm-hmm. him, and he said, "If you win, I'll give you this amount of money. If you, if I win, you have to close your schools." Was that Shu Xiaodong Dong, or is that somebody else?
1: Uh, I don't think that was him. Okay, I don't think that okay. was him.
0: You've yeah. seen the one that I'm talking about, right?
1: Yeah, that's that rings for the me. The guy goes
0: me. out and yeah. he, he it's like he tried to you could see his face. He tried to move him without touching him and when it didn't work and he came in and got punched in the face, it was it was just a world shattering moment for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh on your original question, don't you figure Chinese should stand behind you know what, there's there's face this face thing is a bad thing where it's like to save face, you'll do less than honorable things.
0: Well, you backed the wrong horse. I mean, you've, you've yeah. been pushing modern wushu for 50 years now, and that, that well has run, run dry. You're in the world of, of MMA and pride and UFC. And right. It's like,
1: but I think that still goes back to, you know, if you think about the Cultural Revolution, you know, that, that was disastrously bad for authentic Chinese martial arts in China. Yes, I agree. Like, I I know, God, I don't know how old he is now. He was upper 70s when I met him, like, early 90s. Mm -hmm. He lived through through the Cultural Revolution. He's super cagey. I said, well, sure, because they put him in jail for doing martial arts. So he is super, he knew a lot of stuff. He's very powerful, very, you know, tough guy at 70 knocking me around, and I was, you know, like 35 or something, you know, it's like... Whatever you know, Uh, but he was super key. These guys that survived the Cultural Revolution—they're super. If if they were authentic, they'd spent, you know, ten years hiding their stuff.
0: Well, they were in jail, or they fled the
1: country. Yeah, for fear of death. Yeah, or or, I mean, yeah. But I'm talking the guys that stayed there and lived and still and still trained. Like for for years, they literally had to keep it super secret.
0: Now, I just read something the other day. Um, and I may my Chinese is not good at all, so if if I mispronounce this, please correct me. The the daughter or granddaughter of Huang Jia that does uh, meat song is that how you say it? Meat song.
1: Oh, meat song. Uh, yes, it's the, the guy from um, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, he the guy that started Jinwoo, basically, um, but yeah. his daughter is being tasked with. Uh, the government actually backed her with trying to reinvigorate that line and that art. And she's struggling mm-hmm. to, to piece back the applications and make it work again. So I just, I don't know if you saw that, but I,
1: I no, I did That's, that's interesting from both a historical and, and a, 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 we hope the result work out. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I hope it works out. And I, I hope that that's the beginning of a trend in that direction where they start to push that more.
1: That, that would be great. You know, I I think MMA is really. God, What's our influence? MMA has influenced China, right? Because you had these guys would fight. And of course, Sanda was what, so they do Sanda. All the guys that want to fight end up doing Sanda. Yeah. But of course you make dirt And the whole face thing is a lot of those fights are rigged. Okay. You know, and and so they get it. But then suddenly MMA comes and said, "Hey, dude, if you can convert to MMA, you can fight and actually make money." Oh. Right. And and and, you know, I'm saying so now. Fighters are going. Why? Because you could get out of China if that's what you want, or at least live well in China. Because if you can, you know, because now we've had actual fights from fighters from China in the UFC now for almost a year. You know, it's like no, you can, you can. Now that Chinese fighters have gotten to the top level competition, it's like, oh, you can make money. So that that guy, you know, compared to what he made in China, is you know, it's, it's probably you know, I, I'm sure UFC fighters are paid, except for the the big champions are paid way underpaid for the damage oh, they sustain. The,
0: when you convert that to Chinese income level, yes, it, that, like,
1: that. It's like mondo cash, yeah. right? So it's like suddenly it's like, oh, all you Sonda fighters, you could do MMA and make some money if you can actually succeed. And then with that thing, you ever seen one championships? Yes. Yep. MMA in China? It's like, that's a thing that's over there. So so you don't even have to come to UFC. That's, that's something that's got ever better talents, and it's relatively local. Oh, I didn't, so it's like I didn't that, realize
0: one was based in China.
1: It's it's based out of Singapore, I believe. Oh,
0: okay. All right.
1: So it's not local, but it's Close, you know, yeah. a few, It's not coming to America.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, they've had some interesting fights on there. Now... So you I guess you're on board then of updating the traditional stuff to modern times and trying to make it workable again.
1: Yes, and, and a lot of me talking it's really about progression. If you want to fight, you have to fight. That I mean that that's that sounds so stupid, but you'd be surprised at people that don't understand that yeah yeah now if you want to be able to fight you got to actually practice fighting
0: now uh do you want to i'm familiar with it but i'm not sure everybody that will listen to this is familiar with it you want to explain a little bit of what happened to the chinese martial arts during the cultural revolution
1: oh well yeah it's so, so the chinese cultural revolution is this horrible time in history where to modernize china they had to do away with all these traditional things and so people were getting killed and jailed and sent to basically concentration camps for being, you know, anything of the old tradition whether it's, you know, philosophy, calligraphy, dance, so people in the arts getting there anything anything from the old and bad so to include martial arts. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these guys were sent away or just outright killed or, or just, you know, lived through hard times. A lot of uh, what we still have today are from like Chen Xiao Wang. His dad was the best of that generation of Chen style. Mm-hmm. He died in the Cultural Revolution. Okay, and these his uncle you- was like maybe the next best. He's the source of their knowledge. So a lot of the best guys were taken out.
0: And what were the years of the Cultural Revolution?
1: Oh, I don't know off the top of my head. I wish I did. I can I can Google that, but I don't know. You could Google that. Um, <laughs> it's like oh, I don't know off the top of my head, uh, but I will find out. So, um, but anyways, long story short, so that was tough, and and even Chen Shio Wang... If you look at him, his fingernails have this odd color. And I asked him what he is. Oh, yeah. When, during the Cultural Revolution, we had nothing to eat. Yep. So I was starving to death. And so uh, even though he's healthy now, my fingernails have never recovered. Oh. So Cultural Revolution was this terrible time for, you know, those guys in the village. I guess all the good Kung Fu guys got. You couldn't practice Kung Fu in the public. So it all had to go underground. So lots of stuff were lost, you know. And like I said, like in the case, his his father is a direct casualty of such. I've known other martial arts that survived from him, and they're super cagey. I mean, they're just mentally changed by, you know, don't show martial arts to people because you get in trouble. Um, you know, so it's just detrimental in so many ways that what survived. Uh, but by the same measure, the, at some point, the Chinese government decided, hey, we'll support this Wushu thing, which is, after they got off the kill all culture thing, they said, let's promote culture but let's promote culture that can't fight so that's
0: it let me throw this in the mix because um i'm in the midst of a ton of research right now that uh, is delving into a lot of the history of chinese boxing chinese martial arts uh, especially around the qing dynasty and the turn into the republican era. so Mm -hmm. uh, i'm not sure if if you've you're into all this and you've you've seen these things but
1: um i've read a lot i'm i'm probably not recently well that's the problem I is
0: i stopped you probably similarly i stopped around 2011 2012 because there i kind of run the well dry but there's been a whole Mm -hmm. influx of of new findings from uh, long time lifelong martial artists that are academics and they've
1: yeah I saw that on your blog yeah, yeah that was insane interesting.
0: Um, yes. I'll, I'll send you some of the titles that I've been going through uh, when we're done but um, some so let me throw this in the mix. So uh, basically what it appears happened is even as far back as the Ming uh, Chinese fire uh, Chinese, Practical Chinese martial artists uh, were realizing that firearms were becoming more prevalent. Like it was just smarter to use firearms. There's a famous general, Chi Ji Guang, he wrote a manual in 1560. He included a chapter on archery and a chapter on unarmed combat. He had 32 uh, 32 applications or techniques. And a, coincidentally, most of those are in what's now known as Taiji Chuan. Um, Mm -hmm. and the, uh, 24 years later, after he goes and has to use a bunch of farmers to fight the wukwu Wuku pirates, the Japanese pirates in the South comes back, writes a new version of the manual and leaves out archery and unarmed combat and replaces it with firearms. Now this, I got all this from uh, Dr. Peter Lorge, um, who's in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, He's got a good book on this stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, so this is 1560, 1584 was when he rewrote this and decided that uh, training in unarmed combat is a waste of time. And then we go, we fast forward all the way through the Qing dynasty. uh, We still have unarmed combat being used heavily because the government doesn't want firearms even in the hands of militias. Mm -hmm. so you have uh even armed security companies using traditional uh, chinese boxing methods for self-defense and unarmed combat as well as weapons old archaic weapons training now we get into the boxer rebellion where large portion of martial artists get wiped out by firearms. And then shortly thereafter, we have the fall of the Qing dynasty and we enter the Republican era with the Sino-Japanese war in there. And then World War, a couple World Wars, all that stuff. But there was a big pivotal shift at the end of the 1800s to uh, from training martial arts for combat to training martial arts for physical education and you Mm -hmm. can see this with the in in the creation of Jing Wu which is more like a YMCA the Guoshu Institute Uh, there was a whole kind of influx of forms what I'm finding in the history of mantis boxing specifically is that's when a bulk of the forms were created because prior to that Mm -hmm. people had to use it and if you're using it you don't have time to mess around with a bunch of forms. Um, so it was really that. And then you, with when we talk about Tai Chi, that's all well-documented because that's when uh, Yang's grandson, Yang Cheng Fu, started going all over the country and teaching it as a health practice, not teaching the actual combative stuff. So mm-hmm. when you look at that and then you we say, okay, well, these guys that say came to the US in the 60s or 70s, fleeing the cultural revolution, how much of that do you still believe that a bulk of them actually had the real skills at that point, or that it had already been faded by multiple generations of not of the emphasis changing to physical education?
1: That, that, that's a good I, I don't think I have a good sense of who the bulk are. Like you have, like I think, like a lot of the early martial arts in America are from guys from Chinatown who learned some martial mm-hmm. arts, I, and, and without reference to to who, it's like, well, this guy knows this martial art; he must be yeah. great. So you know, I think some of those guys become these quote unquote grandmasters of their line that probably may not have yeah. been. Uh, so I, I, I don't have a good sense of the bulk who has it. I think there are guys that escaped with good uh, with still with, with good skills, pretty yeah. skills. But like most of the guys, like Robert Smith writes about, say, oh, you know, there's there are some guys from mainland that can, can fight. Wang Sujing would go to Japan and get challenged by guys all the time, and apparently bounce people around. So um, some of them still had it.
0: Small small pockets, um, you think, still existed, and then
1: I, you know, you know, you know, hold that uh, whatever. Iron Butterfly of Shijiao fame. He clearly was always a fighter, and and those guys are still well, that, kind of fighters. That, but again, that brings
0: up an interesting uh, point too: is Schwiegel even through the has seemed to survive even through the Cultural Revolution?
1: Yes, because it was a sport. Just, just, just like I think the same reason until UFC, we didn't realize grappling was a fighting art. It's a sport. You get him on his back for three seconds. You don't beat people up with that. You know. It's, uh, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a sport. The guy throws in the dirt, you're done. You're not kicking him in the teeth, you know, and it's, you know, got rounds and points and blah, blah, blah.
0: I am not, uh, I, I'm a little ignorant to the actual history of Jiao as far as, um, I know that a lot of that was originated from the steppe people. So it's quite possible that it survived mostly in the North through the cultural revolution. And, yeah. Um, uh, that i'm not aware of there,
1: um there is a cool video of this like 80 year old chinese wrestler in beijing mm-hmm. <coughs> fairly recent so I, I i'm trying to, he certainly would have lived through the cultural revolution but as far, as far as i can tell he was pretty much wrestling from a young age so i guess it was a sport that was okay i would say it should have overlapped with his life his should have overlapped with the cultural revolution because he basically talks about doing regi his whole life mm. so I, and actually there's this I kind of want to watch there's a suck there's a Chinese soap opera called king of King of Shrigel, okay. which uh, I don't know if there's any subtitles but that would probably give you a feel and, and it feels to me like it's in the 20s okay so as far as so if it's it's if that if that soap opera is accurate. And there were stride people in the twenties and thirties or forties, somewhere around that, that period. Uh, when I look at the well, dress, I know uh,
0: Tim Cartmel. he did his Chinese wrestling book. um in, in their pictures, black and white photos. Uh, I'm not sure if that was in Taiwan. Uh, I
1: No, no, that guy, Cao, Cao Dian, he's a mainland. He was Chinese mainland. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That should... okay. yeah.
0: Um, so that, that's a great book. And, uh, so, speaking of shuai jiao, I know that was one of the things that we wanted to hit on is how much uh, shuai jiao, where uh, not the sport version, but the throws and the application, how much of that do you personally think is in these traditional Chinese martial arts styles?
1: Well, uh, I'll give you a feel. Chen style is like tons of shuai these moves that look like strikes. Uh, like a Sun Sun Bay, I don't know. Flash the back. Mm-hmm. It looks like you, you, it looks like you pivot one eighty and hit the guy wow. behind you. It's like a hip throw, right? And they, there's all these ones. that are throw, throw, yep. throw. If you if you watch the Chen style, their Chen style push hands is basically Sri Joe. Okay. They have a little rolling, but they they have free footing and and lots of throws.
0: So they are working. You know, and that's so that's good.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, so when you look at that, and so it's like, well, you can see that. And then when you see some of these guys demo, oh, what's up here? Oh, this is a throw. That's a throw. This thing, like, uh, I think the, the young guys call, like, somebody needle touches the bottom of the sea or something. That's like a throw. The guy grabs, that's like a shoulder throw. Yeah. And the, the, the move that that move comes from in Chen styles is a shoulder throw. So there's tons of stuff. But little things like, um, like, I had learned this little, what I like call a little hacky sack mm-hmm. motion. You know, hacky sack slap your hand and turn. And sometimes that could be construed as a kick. And Bruce Lee does like one of those hacky sack kicks in Into the dragon where he holds the guy's head behind him and kicks him in the head. Thing like that one. But it's like I look at that, goes, you know what? That's that's to escape a leg entanglement. That's a fundamental stride gel exercise. Yeah. That is, oh, the guy's doing something like what the Japanese call osotagari. Well you can just fold your leg like the hacky sack and rotate, and that both takes it out of the way and turns you to face the guy. Well, it's
0: funny you say that because one of my uh, one of my black belts has been traveling a lot in the last year. He went to Mongolia and did some Mongolian wrestling, some bok, and uh, he went. He's been going to New York and wants to compete in Shuaijiao. So he's been training with some guys down there in Shuaijiao. And he came back and he was showing me a jacket break, a grip break on the jacket. The lapel, and I looked at it, and I was like, "That's the last move in a mantis form called bung boo. It's like verbatim; mm-hmm. it's just clear,
1: plain as day. It's a jacket Great. Yes, break. Yes. break. Yeah. So, uh, this stuff
0: is definitely prevalent in there.
1: Oh, there's tons. I, I I was going through some drills, like, "Oh, Master Lee showed me these." Is more of just you know, like standing cultivation drills. But I look at, "Oh, this is stride Like the guys do this thing. It, it's like an extended lean boat stance. Yeah where they turn yep. away. This is how they do a good portion of their throws, but they hold it static. Arguably, you're supposed to hold that stance with someone on your back, mm-hmm. right? And I'm going, oh, so some of these stances, like these lean bow stances, like these which, which are sometimes unpractical in actual fighting, it's not a, it's not a striking stance. I mean, it's, sometimes it can be, but no, if you're leaned like that, that's how you can do the strikeout throw on them.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: it's, uh yeah you know. it's kind
0: of like um when you look at young style, there's a move called brush knee. and mm-hmm. when you um you take that and you are doing it solo, and you, especially as a health practice, then obviously it makes sense that you're using a bow stance, but just lean forward a little bit more and lift your back leg. and that's a thigh lift throw, what we call a tiger tail throw. Um, mm-hmm. it's It's clear as day, just from the hand position and the angle. But if you just do it as a bow stance with a palm going out in the air, uh, everybody thinks it's a palm strike of some sort. Like, oh, I'm just blocking and palm strike. No, that's a hardcore throw right there. One of the most prevalent. Yeah, right? yeah.
1: So there's throws every, but traditionally they always say that, you know, all Chinese martialists would have da, tees, yeah. nah, or you know, right. kick, strike, or strike or the punch, kick, punch, kick, lock, yeah. and throw. So all of them are supposed to have all four of those things. So you can see they a lot of them have devolved where they kind of like like Wing Chun's like mostly punching.
0: Well, that that's also I uh, you know from some for, you have a bunch a bulk of people that were taught only forms, not actual the application, or and they have no grappling or wrestling background. And when you mm-hmm. this is my argument with when you're a striker. It's no different, like if you're a carpenter and your only tool is a hammer, then everything you see is a nail. So if you're a striker yeah. and you look at forms, then every form you look at is is just blocks and punches, blocks and punches. That's it. There's no, you don't see it. You can't see it. I was, mm-hmm. I used to be predominantly a striker and that's the problem I had is when I was trying to re- reconstruct the forms, I couldn't figure out what a lot of the moves were because I only had a striking background at that time, so everything looked like a kick or right. a punch. Um, most, of the <laughs> yeah.
1: what? I, even some of the striking apps don't look like like there's a move I forget. It's an early Shaolin form. It looks like you're punching two people at the same time at 90 degree mm-hmm. angle. Yep. Which is you know which is BS. How are you going to get here? You stand here and you stand there, and I'm going to punch No, what what it is? The hand that looks like it's punching the side is actually deflecting the arm across. What and, and kind of pulling him while you pull him into your oh, right yes. hand? yes, yeah, yeah. Throw setup
0: like with the uh, jacket grip. Is that what you're talking about? Where your arm is bent.
1: Uh, Are you talking uh, ninety degrees or uh,
0: your arm straight out to the side at one um, yeah. eighty?
1: If if I stand left foot bow stance, mm-hmm. if I have gonna a right punch, nobody's going to follow any in
0: this.
1: <laughs> sure. okay. No problem. If I'm there. If I'm right stand, both stands, I have the right hand like reverse punch yeah. forward, and then my left hand goes straight out to the left. Oh yeah, right? and yes, when you I step know into, into that,
0: about.
1: yeah, you step into that one. And, and to to the to, to guys who only punch, they go, oh, you're punching two no, guys at one time. You're no, completely not. not. No, the the left hand that goes out is actually goes over the the blocking hand and and throws it to the left as you turn and punch him the, with the right hand. And I go, oh, when I, I saw that, because that go, oh, that makes sense. This punch two people at one time that's never yeah, gonna happen yeah that's that's true you know but, but you come up with stuff like you'll see some of the taekwondo's do like the double split kick that's cool but you're never gonna be able to do that that's to something that's no, not boards no
0: so I, here this is just for my own personal uh knowledge or amusement um a p- hypothesis i had with Yi since you're you have far more knowledge about shingy than i do um mine's basically like an internship level of a uh, versus yours. And so one of the things that I, I thought of with, when I look at the five element, 12 animal breakdown is the, uh, see if you, what your thoughts are on this, that the five element is the striking package and the 12 animals were all the throws. That's that,
1: that, I think there's some truth to that one, but there's actually a fair amount of like p yeah. is is a, got a f- a fair amount of throwing application. Okay. Tran actually has, especially going to die family stuff. It's a swallow and spit. Guy kicks, you kind of suck it in as you come back, and then you go up and over and throw him, holding mm-hmm. his foot. Okay. So there's actually throws there, and actually when you are talking about the the your uh, your black belt coming back with this move, and this is right out of the form. Yeah. Yeah. Pao you know, the, the the pounding, the fire element. Yep. When the hands come down to the waist, Master Lee would show me, oh, yeah. One of those things is you grab the guy's sleeve, and then you do this, and you kind of do this leverage, which takes them off balance. You headbutt them, and then you hit it. Okay. And so where I go, oh, right in that element alone is a closed grab. And this is the stuff that I would learn from Master Lee. He did, like, uh, yeah, this uh, Xing yi Swallow, where you did, like, swoop away and come back. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm people have all these weird like you know avoid the punch come yeah you could do that too but one of the things is sometimes if there's a thing on the ground yeah. you sweep back you grab it and then you come back forward you throw at the guy and then you okay. kick him. okay and i go oh that's out of the form so there's a lot of these moves that are like oh my god that application is just like the movement and it's practical and sometimes even sneaky like the whole thing he's look at this he put a bottle down if i'm fighting you and i see this bottle i move this and I, he did swallow he grabbed it and like threw it in my face it's like oh and, of course, while you're blocking your face, I kick you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, it's like it's a, like and, and then you watch a, him do it. A, exactly from the form. It said, like, oh, this is what you get when you grew up in the family.
0: Yeah, yeah, the secret knowledge. It's, it's funny.
1: And we it's get true. the crazy, weird 270 deflection before I hit you kind of movement. It's like, oh, yeah, well, that's not the real application.
0: No, and it's uh, – if there's any validity the, to that. the – the secrets being held due to like we're not going to teach Westerners if there is any validity to that and it had survived up until that point, I after looking at a lot of the history and the way the Western powers treated China uh, in the Qing dynasty and early 1900s they I completely understand why they wouldn't want to teach Westerners anything.
1: Yeah well, wow. well interestingly for your information that that even goes north to south. I've, I've heard – I've talked with old martial arts and they talk about, oh, boo, that guy's not even ch- real Chinese.
0: Oh, yeah. There's there's always – the,
1: yeah. his, his word was fake Chinese, but for him, fake Chinese was not northern Chinese. Well, there's
0: uh, – and I'm, I'm not – So like really North America, right.
1: fake Chinese. Yeah. From Hong Kong, fake Chinese. From Canton, it's like they're not even northern Chinese. So he, he would sit there and go, ah fake Chinese. You're not going to teach it to fake Chinese. So so it's, it's not just that one. Some of those guys would keep it to their own group. Yes. And, you know, but like the six Harmony Muslim martial art, you know, and they, I'm sure they had a, their fair amount of persecution, so they probably kept to themselves.
0: Uh, yes, uh, I, I could see that. Um, but you have, you have like the Han, you have the Manchus, you have the Mongols, you have the Hakka, you have, uh, I mean, there's all these different factions uh, inside what's, yeah. what's now known as China, though, right? Where you have these... Mm-hmm. these separations even inside. Is that correct? Is that a correct statement?
1: Yeah. I mean, you do. I mean, I think they're. So the, the guy I was talking in person, he's talking about Han North, North versus Southern okay. Han. Yeah. But, but he was uh, just as an extreme because I actually spoke to someone who said that. It's like, Oh, that's interesting. Well, I'm not going to teach fake Chinese. I'm not going to teach non-Chinese. Well, it goes like, okay. to
0: show that racism isn't only in America, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well in that case it's like it's not even right it's like locationism oh
0: ethnocentricity you're born yeah. in the south. i mean that's
1: you're born in the south you speak with it just like it just like in oh, america yeah. the accent the accent in the south is different they're both you could both be anglo-saxon but you talk with a drawl, well, so i don't like you if, or you, go, you, you, if you take like, a
0: field trip to uh, uh charleston south carolina uh, you will go around, you'll see plaques everywhere. This is the war of Northern aggression. They did this, they did that, and yeah. it's everywhere. And it's the, it's not gone. It's still the separation. although oh, the Yankee thing, the, the Northerner. Um, right. So it's hard to over, to overcome that no matter where you live. I think it, I read something years ago that said it takes four generations to get rid of, uh, to make a change, not generations like decades, mm-hmm. like generational four generations yeah. of family. So we're in for a long haul, but anyway, that we're getting out way off topic. I think that's probably a good point to stop and uh, we can always have another conversation down the road, but I appreciate you stopping sure. by today for us and giving us some of your insights. And
1: Yeah. I enjoyed. <laughs> hope I didn't say too much. That's always the problem. Like, Oh, let me try to distill what no, I'm trying to no, say.
0: I, I can edit things uh, in post and, uh if I find things just aren't working for the flow of something, just I'll I'll just clean it up on that and don't feel offended if I leave something mm-hmm. out. It's nothing personal, it's just for the sake of yeah, yeah. Uh, time and um No, no. And making the flow right. But this is my first time in yeah, an interview, cool. yeah. so uh hopefully it went well. And
1: All right. I-, I liked it. I mean obviously we could both talk yep. forever. Some, some something I, I noticed. Uh, Stefan does this a lot of times. He does a video, and then he just takes the audio as a podcast. Okay. Uh, like the, the video. The video goes to YouTube, but his his podcast, like the same one that yes. you're on. Some of those podcasts are just the sound of, of a thing he did uh, that he also put on YouTube. Yeah.
0: When when I did it with him, it was we used this. We used ZenCaster. That's how I found out about it. Uh huh. Uh, okay. I i have i'm not as familiar i haven't seen the video versions that you're talking about i think he's done some with people, uh, right?
1: if, you, if you want I'll, I'll find one where i go i'd seen the video and i go is this list you know i i listened through his uh, his podcast to see when i hadn't listened to it. i go Oh, wait this is me. this
0: is more of a personal uh choice on my end because i have had the the podcast done i've been doing them separate from my video channel because it's easier for me to edit sound files uh i have to yeah. i don't do the video editing actually one of my students max uh-huh. does all the video stuff so i try not yeah. to bother him with uh an, okay buddy because oh, oh, oh,
1: <laughs> I, I could show you stuff like uh, the thing that i wanted to do is i want to show you um i want to show you grin what's his name there's this guy i I was telling you about it like uh, on the skype thing his system he's trying to preserve Mm -hmm. it and i could see how this could devolve in a generation or two to the you know the kind of lack of a better term neutered chinese martial art yeah it's like he's got this form which is the 36 moves that he thinks are the best right yeah
0: when we first Yeah, it.
1: and if you look at, and again, if you look at the, if you looked at this form and you didn't know it was a strikeout form, you'd think there's any other kung fu move, right? But if you actually knew the 36, it's a great way to preserve the 36. It's like, you know, you sit there and go, well, if you want to say, think of like 36 different jujitsu moves. It's tough. It's a lot to keep in your head. That form allows you to, to go through the steps and, and re- re- retain yeah. them. You know, it's like, oh, so this is a good method. Hey, 30 seconds, 30 set, 36 throws and setups. It's like, hey, do this form. You got them all. It's easier to remember than individually. So I see so that's great. But you could see if
0: it takes one generation. I don't know. You had a good lost. If you,
1: if you don't you have one guy who stops yeah. firing. I absolutely right agree. but I, I look at his system and it's totally fun because it's right it's yeah. so it's totally functional and he's also trying to add the strikes and so he's got all these drills that they do and they got equipment drills and i think one of the things that worth preserving for chinese martial arts is they spend a lot of time trying to figure out what can you practice by yourself yeah absolutely i it's, it's not optimal but it's better than no i agree practice.
0: there's two two things i would i wanted to point out about the form comment that you made is um Because Peter Lorge in his book, uh, I didn't know this. Maybe you already knew this. But the forms thing goes back way, way back to the Shang Dynasty. This is not a new invention by any stretch. They've been doing Mm -hmm. forms to go along with their boxing. That's why I said boxing sets versus styles. Because mm-hmm. even in the Ming, it wasn't really about styles. It was like, oh, that family, they do they do these techniques and that guy, he does this stuff. And he names them out because Chi Guang actually makes a kind of an itemized list of the styles in the area at the time. And yeah. it's very interesting that it, it actually goes back that far. Um,
1: and- right. Remember, I was talking about outdated methodology. Yeah. In, in the days where you're illiterate? Absolutely. Right? The the poem. That's why they're saying certain poems. Why? So I can remember them in this form. Now here's 36 moves. You can remember those. If you ask me to write down 36 jiu I really have to think. Oh. If, if I had a jiu-jitsu form, which actually Eddie Bravo does. Eddie Bravo has these... I don't know are you familiar with the 10th planet warm-up? No,
0: but you're you mentioned that in an email that he had a form that he created. It, it, it's, I look at
1: this, he's he's doing kung fu, but it's great because each he's got eight sets, and each set each one is a theme. Yeah. But but it's the moves and the flows between. I go, oh, this is a two man form, but for jujitsu. But you can imagine it's a way to remember. He I guess he's finding this a good way to do it. It's like, oh, it's, but because obviously it's jujitsu, you guys always spar and you always roll. So it's not lost what these are for, but it's a good package to remember things, even in, in the age where you have videos on your phone and DVDs. It's true, but horror. martial arts
0: is a lot about building uh, mind-to-body connections. Like, and I'm not being esoteric. I mean actual – you have to build coordination. And the more you can do that on your own outside of rolling, the better you'll be
1: when you do roll. Yeah. So Chinese martial arts – Got a lot of solos. Yeah, stuff. absolutely. Even the Straija, they got a lot of solo drills. Arguably, and that's the difference, because I don't see these drills in Judo. Arguably, the strijo... what's the word I'm looking for? The curriculum should hopefully produce you better results because you have stuff you can practice solo. Um, I know Judo has some equipment, you know, they do the things I with the bands. They have a They have. I know they have two man forms. They have a solo I form. I think they used they, to they have, have a solo. form.
0: I remember reading that somewhere, but I, I may be mistaken.
1: I will. The other thing Should I be. was going to
0: tell you about Chinese forms was uh, Qi Guang, I mean, this guy's a general, and he's a military guy, and his he had his thirty-two uh, techniques, and he actually had a form. But uh, so that's an interesting side note. But the other part of that is when you look at the techniques, he's he's only drawn them. Uh, as solo moves, not as a, so you can't see what the actual application is unless you already know mm-hmm. it. And people yeah. lost that. so when you when you look at them, if you don't know what you're looking at, you're like, "What the hell is that?" But then as soon wow, as you know that, what it is, it's like, oh my God, it's right there. It was it's like four hundred years old.
1: right that that's true for a lot of the classics the, the the books are not meant to teach you. they're meant for you to remember. Yes. So if so if you if you know what it is now you can remember what it right. is, but if you don't know what it is you can't read it and it's know what it is in plain sight. Well, I mean, some people might, but for the most part it's like no, it's one of those things that you remind yourself. Oh yes, this is this, this is this, but because you know how to do it, you're able to. Oh, let me make sure, I make sure I remember all ten right. points
0: exactly. Yes,
1: those, those kind of things. So, so yeah, a lot of the, a lot of those artifacts are are not to teach you but to remind you after you've yes. learned. Yes, definitely.
0: All right, force. I'm sorry. I got to go on my end. Uh, that's been an awesome talk no and fun. Thank you very much. Appreciate it.
1: And uh, Yes, it's good fun for me, too. I hope we have more. But hey, long story short, if we do a video thing, I can show you stuff. Or if we meet in person, maybe we should yeah, tape some. absolutely. When you, when you come down in May, we can tape some things, and that can make it into some edited video Sounds or something good. somewhere.
0: Excellent. All right. Hopefully, we can All meet right. up, and I will. Uh, I'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks a lot. Okay, thanks.